Mamdou one more time. Mamdou is um, the leader of a group called the Glory of God on Cape Cod. It is a John 17 network, a prayer network, a pastor's network, a revival network in the Cape Cod area. And he's a medical doctor originally from Egypt. And Mamdou and I have worked together for many years as part of a, a group called the New England Alliance. Um, and we just wanted to use this as an opportunity to share his story, to share what God has been doing through their network on Cape Cod. Um, I know a lot of us are involved in and kind of a key part of even seeing citywide prayer is having some kind of a united church network in your city. And the glory of God on Cape Cod is a great example of that. Um, and and I think we have a lot we can learn from from him. So Mamdu, welcome and really excited to jump into this conversation. Oh, great to be with you and with everyone present. Thank you. Um, Mamdu, can you just give us a little bit about your background? How did how did you become a believer and, and how did you become passionate about things like revival? So I, I grew up in Cairo, Egypt, as you mentioned, and I grew up in an atmosphere of uh, the beginning of the current revival that is happening in the Middle East. So you, many of you may have heard that there is currently a significant revival happening in the Middle East where uh, literally millions of Arab-speaking people from, you know, non-Christian background are coming to Christ. And I grew up in a, an atmosphere in a church in which uh, we would see 500 new converts coming to Christ every year, new unchurched people. And the church that I grew up in as a believer uh, <clears throat> Uh, went from a few hundred to about 8,000 in a matter of a few short years. And I came to Christ when I was in medical school. I was 21 years old, uh, just through, through a ministry, <clears throat> reaching out to students, similar to here, what would, would be like the Campus Crusade or something like that back home. There's a ministry reaching out to medical students, and I was just reached out to it was a thriving ministry and this is how I came to Christ so I was sort of I was sort of this was the normal Christianity for me is to see fruit coming people coming to Christ this to me was the norm so uh, I my wife I met my wife who was American I met her in Cairo Egypt 36 years ago and this is how I ended up in the United States and then when I came here, um, to be honest with you, I, I've been here for 32 years. The atmosphere of churches and Christianity was different from what I grew up in. I just, it was just different. Um, and <clears throat> I, uh, I had an understanding. The Lord had uh, sort of put in my heart an understanding of what revival is, what it means. And basically that understanding was that revival is when God is known in the land. 
So when, whenever there is revival in the scriptures or historically, what happens is that both believers become acutely aware of God's presence and unbelievers take notice also of God's presence. They just, it is just, uh, it becomes uh, uh, an undeniable uh, self-evident phenomena. And this happened in both all the Old Testament revivals, whether the ones in Exodus or the ones in Elijah's time or the ones in Josiah's time, uh, or in historical revivals, such as the ones in the Great Awakenings, the revival in um, the London Times, you know, it was written about in the London Times, the Welsh Revival and so forth. So I had this uh, understanding that revival is not something that happens in churches only. It, it's not a set of uh, energized meetings that we have, but actually it's God moves in a community, moves in a society, moves in a nation, and the end result is he becomes known in the land. So this really was the captivating force uh, that that drove me uh, and stirred me uh, to to sort of uh, think about the glory of God and keep God. Right now, I know you had a distinct um, just you know word from the Lord or just an encounter with the Holy Spirit in two thousand four that led to to you starting um, the glory of God on Cape Cod. What are the origins of it? Just can you just share with us what happened, what God did? Because you were, I'm assuming, just you know, minding your own business, being a doctor, a good, you know, church attender and whatnot. But this <clears throat> new chapter, um, kind of God launched it in your life. So share, share about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, actually, yes, I, I will. I will do so. And to put this in context, um, uh, it is my conviction that a lot of the ministries that exists today, whether it's 10 days of prayer or the glory of God on Cape Cod or the ministries represented uh, by the people attending this Zoom call, a lot of them that perhaps started a few years ago uh, has been birthed by God for the times that we are living in, even beginning this year actually. So, there's a very interesting verse in uh, Acts. I think it's Acts 27. Um, I'm not sure where in Acts, but basically it says this. It says, <clears throat> uh, and when the time of the promise drew near, this is, uh, it's in the earlier, Acts 7 actually, the earliest chapter of Acts, when Stephen's speech, it says, and when the time of the promise drew near, and Stephen was referring to uh, the time, uh, the promise of uh, that God gave to Abraham that he will deliver Israel uh, from Egypt. And then a few verses down, it says, at this time, Moses was born. So in other words, uh, sometimes when God uh, often, uh, you know, has purposes for a generation, he begins to set things in motion ahead of time to prepare for these purposes. And uh, I believe that for the 
season we are, I believe we just entered, uh, going a few years back, God birthed a number of ministries, a number of uh, setting things in motion. And these ministries are represented by, uh, again, <clears throat> 10 days of prayer, I, uh, the glory of God, I give out. there's two of many, many ministries, many things that God is doing to prepare for his purposes. So for us, for our little part of it, uh, in 2004, um, just I was stirred, you know, the Lord stirs us to, to birth. Something. I was stirred with an understanding that uh, from the book of Jeremiah, actually, that we currently lack the glory of God in our midst. Uh, that the, I had an understanding is that when the glory of God and one specific aspect of the glory of God is his manifest presence. There are many other aspects of the glory of God, but when the glory of God, his manifest presence is upon his people in the scriptures or historically, what happens again is that uh, the, 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 the people of God become acutely aware of his presence and the unbelievers um, take notice of his presence. And like Rahab told Joshua in Joshua chapter two, we have heard of your God or King Nebuchadnezzar or King Belshazzar would tell Daniel, True, truly, your God is the God of gods, you know, and so forth. And in contrast, when the glory of God lifted off Israel, when the manifest presence of God was lacking, the Gentiles or the nations around Israel, instead of saying to Israel, truly, your God is the God of gods, they mocked them and they taunted them. And then they said, where is your God? So you find the cry for revival in the scriptures throughout the books of the Psalms and the prophets has this repeated phrase. Why should the nation say, where is your God? So my understanding at that time in 2004 is that in essence, the world around us is telling the church, where is your God? Instead of the world around us saying to the church, non-verbally, you know, just the, the, the way they look at the church, instead of saying, truly, God is in your midst, they mock the church, and they almost are saying, where is your God? So I had an understanding that this is where we are at this, at this time, that we lack the glory of God in our midst, and God wants to move us from this point to a point where, as the ministry names as the glory of God and Cape Cod, to a point where he will be able to rest among us, to display his glory among us, so we become acutely aware, and also the community around us would be, would, would encounter God among his people. Um, and uh, I, I believe that my conviction was we need to pursue three things. One is um, repentance uh, and to pursue the, you know, uh, repentance and to get things right with God. And the second thing is 
uh, unity, breaking down the walls of division across denominations, ethnic groups, and generations. And uh, <clears throat> third is to uh, pursue united prayer, united intercessory prayer. So this is this is all with 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 the biblical principle in mind that in the scriptures God either finds his rest among us individually and corporately or uh, strives with us with his spirit to convict us of areas of compromise individually and corporately until he's able to find his rest and when God finds his rest among us as it says as in the scripture says in second chronicles sorry uh, second corinthians where it says where is the place of my rest where is the house heaven is my throne earth is my footstool where is the house you will build for me where is the place of my rest there's a song about that from both from second corinthians and the old testament so uh, all our uh, our obedient effort in the glory of God, which is the pursuit of unity among uh, uh, the, the body of Christ across gen uh, generations, denominations, and ethnic groups, and the pursuit of, you know, repentance and holiness and so forth, and the pursuit of united intercession prayer amounts to preparing a place for the Lord to rest among us. And that's sort of summary of the vision awesome well share with me um and with the group one of the things i love about what you're doing is you've been consistent for years now um this started in 2004 by the way same years um that same year that 10 days of prayer started um so you're right it was around the same time and um you you're being consistent i know you guys meet regularly but just Give us a sense of the shape of this. What is a, what is a united gathering of leaders in a region over time look like? What are some of your weekly, monthly things? What are some periodic things that you've done? Just just give us some, kind of the practicals and and um, on on what it looks like. Oh sure. So <clears throat> of course everything now is on hold, you know, since the COVID nineteen crisis. But prior to that, we have two monthly meetings, one uh, pastor's meeting, and we uh, we have a meeting, about a two-hour meeting on a Wednesday morning once a month, and that meeting is a time of fellowship over a meal, over breakfast, and then a time of worship, and then a time in, in the Word, in a study, and the time of prayer. So all the, the pastors in the network we meet once a, once a month and then we meet and what happens in this pastor's meeting uh, is that we study themes relevant to the vision together and we like to have not one person teach we like to divide uh, we think of ourselves as a round table so we don't think of ourselves as having a you know, hierarchical structure 
we think we are all on equal footing and we are all in a kind of a round table and we value everyone's input. So even though we do have a leadership team and the glory of God on Cape Cod, you know, a few people, but we don't think that things come top down from the leadership team. We we think of ourselves as one body and, 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 and a round table. So we like to take turns uh, looking at uh, at scriptures and sharing and it has been so enriching to find uh, uh, you know input from from everyone so at some point for example we studied uh, we took almost three years uh, studying um, or two years studying the book of Nehemiah because it's a very relevant book of building the ruined walls of Jerusalem and the reason we took three years is that we we like to spend time in fellowship and in the word and in prayer. So we would only take a passage, a few verses every uh, month. So it took us about almost two, two plus years to go through the book of Nehemiah. One time we studied before that the church of Antioch from the book of Acts. We just studied that. And just before the COVID-19, we were so excited about uh, what we're going to study. And I think, in my opinion, it was going to be the most important study we uh, are about to uh, going to do in 15 years of doing this. And the study is, was, we were going to study the subject of the glory of God in the midst of his people from the scriptures. And we already kind of divided up the subjects. We're going to study what what does it mean, uh, what does it look like to have the glory of God in the middle of his people, and what does it mean to, to not have it, and what is the role of unity, and what is the role of holiness, and what is the role of repentance, and we were going to, we already divided and looked at scriptures, and we're going to go through systemic kind of, you know, study from the Old and New Testament, and take turns doing that, and then we just started the first session and then, and then everything shut down uh but basically this is what we do we, we study together we take turns and then we pray and then we have another monthly meeting which is a multi-church corporate prayer meeting and this goes from church to church across the cape and this meeting basically is um is uh, again because we value the different input and the different churches and different culture we are and respect the culture and the tradition of the local church so we ask the host pastor regardless of who the, what the church is uh, whether it's charismatic or non-charismatic or whatever we ask the host pastor to share a word from uh, you know on their hearts re relevant to the subject and we ask their worship team to lead worship. And then we uh, facilitate, we have one of our team facilitating a time of intercessory prayer. And the prayer is usually um, small group prayer. So everybody can participate and people would not be spectators. And then a time of pastors and leaders leading prayer and open mic. And also a time of... Uh, open mic for the 
for the people present uh, to just pray from their hearts. This is kind of the rough, loose structure of the multi-church prayer meeting that travels uh, from church to another. And in every meeting, we read a unity statement that's on our website. And the unity statements, we all read it out loud together. And it just reminds us all that we are pursuing unity uh, and we respect each other's secondary, each local church secondary theological distinctions, but we are united in Christ and uh, we are united in his purposes and we're united in having sort of the essence and having a desire to see his glory on, uh, on Cape Cod and beyond. So this is kind of like a brief summary of the two meetings that we have. Beautiful. Um, I've got a lot of questions now, um, but let me just ask you on the unity front. I want to know what kind of participation are you getting, you know, within Cape Cod? Is is everybody involved? Um, and um, you know, how many churches are there even in your region? Just just some things like that. You know, how many are involved? Is it everybody? Is it just a few? Is it a handful? And and also, I want to know, how do you guys, a lot of concern for people in a unity context that I hear a lot is people are concerned um, that it's going to be too loosey-goosey theologically. Um, how do you address that where it's wide enough that, um, you know, real Christ followers can come in, but it's, um, you know, I'm just wondering how you've navigated some of those waters. I totally understand, yes. So we have, you know, the, the churches that participate in both hosting a meeting and the pastors coming to the pastor's meeting are about uh, 23 churches, something along those lines. Now, these are not all the churches. These are not all the evangelical churches on the Cape. And even within those 23 to 24 something like that churches their participation varies and the consistent of their participation varies uh, so if they all come every time we would have probably something like 25 people coming in every 25 pastors in every meeting but that doesn't happen as you can imagine uh, we do have sort of agreed on and this is in our unity statement that we are all sort of uh, orthodox in evangelical belief so uh, we are we don't try to we don't we're not trying to involve more people uh, at the expense of orthodoxy so uh, for lack of a better word we don't have liberal churches involved for lack of a better word so uh, it's not that we really um you know, um, well, I, I shouldn't say that. We we would we would have a, a really a strict uh, strict criteria for people who are hosting a meeting or uh, involved as those who are orthodox uh, in, in a sense that they they have a just a a classic understanding of the place of the word of God and you know just the basic evangelical theology. But if there's something that is a little bit uh, off that, 
then I, we don't see it as a compatible ground to walk together. And I think it also has become self-selective because those people also have, have, who have heard of us have chosen on their own to sort of not participate. So it's not like they want to participate and we turn them away. I think it's agreed mutually that we don't see eye to eye and we can't walk together. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that's a great, just great to talk through that. And there's about maybe 60 evangelical churches on Cape Cod, if I'm not mistaken, 50, 60, something like that. I think, I think so. Yeah, I think so. So that's pretty incredible. You know, maybe, um, you know, 40% engaging at some level. That's, I think that's outstanding. And I think, um, you know, for those of you who are thinking of uh, either involved in this kind of work or you're thinking about getting involved in it, you realize it's, it's, it's hard, it's difficult. And um, I think that's, you know, an outstanding percentage of people to be engaging with from the Cape. Um, one of the things I love when I get to be with you guys is just the fellowship. I'm thinking of our last time we were at the pastor's meeting. There's just really sweet yes. fellowship. People really love each other. Um, the prayer is like honest and from the heart. Um, so maybe just, just talk about that component as, as you all have, some of you have been building relationships over um, 15 years. Um, sorry, we're gonna have to meet that person. Um, so yeah, mom, do you just share a little bit more about that please? Yeah, you know, as usual, by by no means it's not perfect, as you can imagine, by 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 any stretch of the imagination. But we have been building relationships for fifteen years, and we have grown to uh, to gradually, uh, uh, you know. Have this paradigm shift, you know. I think in the very beginning, this was a little bit, a little bit new to some people, and uh, you know, I'm not a pastor, so I, I don't know how how they think. But from what they say, is that in the beginning there was some sort of uh, caution, perhaps, or some uh, reservation. Uh, you know, on what is this going to be like and what does that mean to walk together and cooperate and so forth. But I think it, it sort of, we gradually grew in, uh, in uh, trusting one another, gaining, gaining trust towards one another, enjoying one another's company, uh, enjoying praying with one another, enjoying studying the word with one another. And... Uh, hosting the multi-church meeting became a very enjoyable place where believers on the Cape now enjoy seeing Christians from other churches and it became like a monthly thing where it's so encouraging to see Christians from different churches uh, on a monthly basis uh, praying together and so forth so uh, like you said it, 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 with time I think we continued to uh, to strengthen relationships uh, with one another and to love one another, and uh, uh, and and walk together. And I think one paradigm shift, and this is 
I think this is actually, uh, you and I talked about that, Jonathan, before, and I, and I think you, um, we agreed on this because we're both not pastors, is that one paradigm shift is that in the New Testament, uh, the, the definition of the local church is the church in a region. Uh, it's the church in Romans, uh, in Rome, in Corinth, uh, you know, uh, Thessalonica, and so forth. It's not the, you know, the first Baptist church or the first congregational church or this vineyard or this assemblies of God. The definition of the local church in the scriptures uh, is a, the body of Christ in a region. And that's a paradigm shift. And it's, uh, I think it's a, an important one to have because uh, when, you, when you have that uh, kind of understanding from the scriptures, when you read what Paul says in uh, in First uh, uh, Corinthians, shall the eye say to the ear, "I have no need of thee"? The context of that is not uh, to a local church, to a Baptist church or a Vineyard church or Pentecostal Charismatic church or whatever. The context is he's talking about believers in Corinth in a region. So really, he's saying is. Can this local church in this region, uh, to paraphrase, say to that other local church in that same region, I have no need of thee? Or some, can this pastor in this region say to that other pastor in the same region, I have no need of thee, I have no need of thee? Actually, no. What he's saying is that in, the re in a region like Corinth, uh, we are one body and we are one family. And that's a paradigm shift, and we are just beginning to, to grasp that, actually, or to think about it. I mean, theoretically, we know it in our head, but this beginning to sink from our head to our hearts, mm. and uh, some people resist that, I must say, to be honest. Some people resist that, and they, uh, they find that they prefer to think of the local church as you know, as the body of Christ, you know, but uh, I think a growing number of us are beginning to see that the local church in the New Testament is the church in a region. So that's it. Yeah, I, I really agree. That's such an important distinction and paradigm shift where we're actually walking in an unbiblical expression of local church. That's an item of repentance. Um, and I think networks like, like the Word of God on Cape Cod are, uh, you know, showing us how to move forward in that. So let me ask you maybe just a, a more vulnerable question. Tell us one of your biggest failures or frustrations. I know this hasn't been just a, uh, a silk road. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, just just maybe one or two examples of challenges that you face that have been um, personally or for the group that have been very difficult. I think that uh, uh, it is always encouraging when uh, when we cast the vision about one body, one family, and people receive it, and pastors. Uh, grasp it and then they in turn mobilize their fellow pastors and 
their own congregation to participate in the prayer meetings. My biggest frustration in when the, when the opposite happens, when we try to share this vision that the revival that we are all seeking uh, will come when we prepare ourselves and unity is a critical ingredient of that. And when the pastors do not receive that or when they do not, when they don't receive it, they in turn, uh, they cannot uh, mobilize their congregations to something that they personally are not persuaded with or convinced with. So uh, my biggest frustration has been that when this happens, when some pastors do not receive it and therefore do not mobilize uh, their congregation to participate, to be part of the body. And what happens is that part of the body is missing. Uh, you know, it's just like, I know you have, how many kids are you up to now? You're six or seven? Just six, just six. <laughs> six, okay. Maybe I'm prophesying, you know, so, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> no, okay, <laughs> false prophecy. Uh, so, you know, when you have your kids at the table, right, I mean, I'm sure it delights your heart uh, when you are, all your kids uh, are uh, at the table. I'm sure if uh, a couple of the kids are missing, I'm sure you feel somebody's missing. So this is, I think, that the way I think that the Lord feels. And, and then we, the leadership team, you know, we kind of feel that heart of God. We feel that when something is missing, when someone is missing, we kind of feel that. So this is, this is my biggest frustration when that happens. Yeah, that reminds me of what Paul talks about, um, you know, how he talks about all his his sufferings. And then he mentions, you know, the, the continual, you know, the burning he feels about people's sin and, you know, just his concern for them is one of those that just reminds me of, uh, of that passage. So we're getting a few questions um, from some of the people in the audience. I just wanted to, to pivot to, do you have men and women in your pastors roundtable groups? We have some women, uh, like one pastor, his wife is also a pastor, two of them, two pastors, their wives are pastors. So yes, and we have a young dynamic youth le leader involved who is the national, the, coordin uh, the local coordinator for the National Day of Prayer. So we do have women involved, but they're mostly men, but, but we do have women involved. Yeah. Okay. And then also um, someone else was just asking, I thought this was a great question. Um, she says, as a non-pastor, I'm curious how Dr. Riyadh initially approached the pastors to gather together to meet. Um, Good question. And, um, did you describe your revelation from the Lord um, about the glory of God in our midst? Was that part of it? And she just wanted to hear that. I think, you know, maybe feeling a similar call potentially. Sure. Uh, so, uh, you know, unless the Lord builds the house, the, 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 you know, the build the labors in vain. I, it's my conviction that this is, you know, because God birthed things like this 15 years ago, again, my earlier introduction about 10 days of prayer and this and other ministries present here, because God is doing something 
you cannot do anything without favor. Nobody can do anything in the kingdom of God without favor, as you as you well know. So really, all I did is that uh, when the Lord stirred me, there was one pastor I was close to. So I took him out to lunch and I carefully used uh, non-threatening words. Like I didn't say, I have a prophetic word. I avoided all charismatic language, lingo. I didn't say, the Lord told me I have a prophetic word or I had this revelation. I didn't use any of those words. All I said is benign evangelical language. I said, the Lord stirred me. That's kind of a nice safe word. I said, the Lord stirred me, burdened me with this. So when I had lunch with this pastor 15 years ago, he immediately responded. I said, this resonates with me. And he himself, I didn't ask him, said, I want you to talk to another pastor. So next, the following Wednesday, we met, he invited another pastor. And then I shared the same vision using the same language with two pastors. This other pastor then took me to four other pastors. And then I shared the vision with, two. I could not have asked for, I, you know, I could not have, I am unknown at this point. Nobody knows me, uh, you know, uh, I didn't even know these people personally, but they sort of, again, and this indicates that this is the Lord, you know, who opened the doors and, and, and did this. So then, then after a period of several weeks of doing this and everybody sort of, uh, resonating with what I was sharing, we began a meeting with, with these people, with, 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 the, with the people involved. And as we began a meeting, uh, we began to invite other people. And then we articulated our uh, thought process and had a website and uh, you know, had th these are our core values, this is our vision and we articulated this and so forth. So this is how it started. And again, uh, Really, you know, any of you in ministry know that unless the Lord gives you favor and open doors, you can never persuade anybody with, with, with anything. It's not a matter of per persuasion or effort. Nothing works unless God is in it. So, Mumdu, I just want to piggyback on that. So when God called me to begin stepping out to gather pastors kind of in a same, similar way for prayer and unity. At the time I was in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And, um, you know, I had had this vision. I, I wasn't familiar with how God talks. So I didn't really know it was a vision. I was, it's like this picture stuck in my head. I, you know, but I feel like it's God talking to me. I was trying to sort it out. And um, it was about mobilizing our city for prayer. Uh, to, to, for churches to pray for one another. Mm. And um, so I was really afraid to launch out, like paralyzed by fear. Mm. And um, I spoke to a friend about it. I was kind of complaining. And he basically told me, you need to stop complaining and go be obedient. He really kind of firmly <laughs> pointed me in the right direction. And he said, you probably already know where to start said that it was as though fear had been clouding my mind and it was keeping me from seeing what I already knew mm -hmm. which was where to start so I went to the church that God had already put in my mind 
and I walked in and I was trembling. Like I was shaking. I was very afraid. Mm. And it was a cold call. I just walked in and I, you know, I, I'm like, God is speaking to me about unity in the city and prayer. That's all I could get out. And it wasn't, it wasn't seeker sensitive. It was, it was raw. It was just like, <laughs> it was stupid. And um, so I walk in and they, they're like, well, talk to this associate pastor. So I, I get out like three or four words. I'm like, prayer, unity, I'm shaking, I'm afraid. He says, son, sounds like you've been hearing from the Lord. <laughs> That's favor. <laughs> and, and, and it, you know, so over the next, he, he introduced me to the pastor's prayer group, which were the kind of the core pastors that were really interested in working together. And out of that, over the summer, I visited with about 50 different churches. Wow. And, wow. But it started with that one. Trust me, most of them did not receive me as kindly as, uh, as he did. But it was just like having that starting point gave me the courage. And going to other ones, I was able to be very bold um, once I got started, even though I had started out so afraid. But that, you know, so I think there's something to that, like just knowing where to start. Taking that first step, it opens up amazing doors. Oh, I mean, that's true, and and yeah, and you had favor uh, to uh, to to do what you what you did. Right, right, right. Yeah, we we got thirty nine churches to be praying for each other in the city, um, mm. just through cold calling and meeting people. So that was yeah. that was in two thousand four. But just reminded me of of your story. Yeah. Um, have you seen the degree of revival and awakening that you long for as of yet? No, we have not. Uh, we, we are longing for it. We are waiting for it. Uh, I don't think that, I don't think we have seen it in America yet as we have heard of it in other parts of the world currently and in America in the past. But uh, again, you know, so as I mentioned that I grew up in, in Egypt and when I came to the United States in the late 80s, I came to the United States in 1988, there was a prayer meeting that started in Egypt in the church that I was, you know, I uh, was at, Cynthia and I were at back in Cairo, uh, the, the prayer meeting for revival started in the 80s. The revival that began in the Middle East in Egypt, they did not see any of you know, results until in the 2000s. So they began to see, uh, well, I mean, th there was early revival. I mean, there was, there was an atmospheric revival in a sense that was like 500 coming to Christ uh, every year. That in and of itself is revival. But when I talk about revival, there were millions actually of Arabs coming to Christ. So the 500 every year is nothing compared to the nationwide revival that is bringing millions to, to Christ all over the Middle East. That did not happen until the 2000s. So I think these things take time. And there is, uh, the scripture talks about, you know, farming and uh, you know planting seeds and you know watering and germinating and and then the harvest and 
those who sow in tears will reap in joy. So the scripture talks about these concepts of, of waiting and seeing and being faithful and so forth. So uh, we are longing and believing for something to happen. Uh, I don't believe that the name that the Lord dropped uh, in our hearts, the glory of God and Cape Cod, was from us. We're not that clever. I think the Lord has uh, put that name because he intends to manifest his glory on Cape Cod. And there has been several prophetic words and dreams confirming uh, this is this is coming. This is happening. This will happen. Keep going and it will happen in time. We have several of those uh, over the years from even people who are off Cape. So we had some from among us, including like a 17-year-old kid a while back. Uh, but uh, there are several from people from off Cape have said, you know, and the Lord stirred them and gave them a witness of the Holy Spirit that we will see that on Cape Cod. And Cape Cod is not going to be the only place or not even necessarily the first place, but that we will see what we're praying for on the Cape. Amen. Give us maybe maybe an example of a maybe a foretaste that you've had or some of the ways you've seen God move, um, you know, during this time. Maybe not the fullness, but but of almost the first fruits. Of, of the revival that, that you saw? Yeah, I think one of the, one of the I think what I would consider uh, a very positive thing is the very fact that we have pastors and churches across denominations, generations and ethnic groups praying together. I think this is a foretaste. So we have, for example, among the churches that are involved, we have uh, a J Jamaican church, a Brazilian church. Uh, and uh, so we have, you know, we have in our living room, I think you, I don't know if when you came, this was represented when you came to our meeting, but we do have sometimes uh, a beautiful kind of uh, spectrum of people present, both not only charismatic and non-charismatic, but some Brazilian pastors, a Jamaican pastor, a pastor from Tr Trinidad and Tobago, a youth worker from Ukraine. Uh, so uh, we have people from South Africa. So uh, I think this to me, as someone who loves unity and loves an expression of unity is a beautiful thing. And to me, this is a foretaste of what is coming and what more to come. There's one thing important that, by the way, about about particularly generational unity. Because there's a verse in Malachi, it's very interesting. It says, I will turn, as you know, uh, the heart of the father uh, to their children and the, the hearts of the children to the father. And then the rest of the verse, lest I smite the land with a curse. So I don't know exactly, you know, what scholars, you know, uh, interpret that particular part, but to put it very simply, it's something bad, <laughs> you know, so, so there's something good that happens when the hearts of the father are turned to the children and vice versa. And when that doesn't happen, something bad happens. So there's something particularly uh, precious and good about when there is generational unity. When there is 
when, the, when there is lack of generational unity, whether it's because of uh, pride or arrogance on part of either generation where let's say the, the older generation thinks that they know everything and the kids don't know anything or vice versa, that's not good. There's something bad about that. There's something that holds uh, the blessing uh, uh, and, and, and God's full uh, desire or ability to rest among us. So I think there's something precious about pursuing generational unity, which is great because I know you do that because you are, how old are you, Jonathan? You know, I'm, I'm not going to reveal that. <laughs> I'm 38. I'm 38. Okay. Yeah. You're yeah. a young kid. Yes. When I, when I started, yeah, I was the young guy, but, but at this point I'm, I feel like I'm kind of a bridge. Between yeah. You're a bridge. Yes. Older and, and younger emerging leaders. Yeah. But you have relationships with, I'm 60 and Roberto and, you know, this generation in our sixties. So you have a good unity and relationship with us in our 60s and with a bridge with the younger uh, generation as well. And I think there's, there's beauty in, in this generational unity just as much as denominational and, uh, and uh, ethnic unity. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's a value. And I've felt, you know, from the Lord and, and I've talked to other, other um, leaders my age where we feel a real role in both connecting up and connecting down and kind of letting this kind of generational unity become normal. Yeah. And, uh, become the new normal that people can come into it, um, not have to fight so hard to lay a foundation, but actually, you know, have, have something that they can walk into that works. Um, I know we're running out of time and I know that you're, um, you know, you need to get back to your practice. Do you have time for one more question? One more question. I have to go, but one more question. Yes. Okay. Um, tell us just a little bit about um, working between evangelicals and charismatics. Of course, charismatics are evangelicals as well, but um, people more open to the gifts of the spirit, people less open. That's always a conflict point. How do you handle issues like speaking in tongues and prayer meetings and things like that? I'm just curious as a question from our audience. Well, sure. Uh, so, I think we all uh, respect uh, our local church distinctions. Uh, so in our meetings, in both meetings, whether it's it's uh, the pastor's meetings or the multi-church prayer meetings, uh, we don't like announce, we don't make an announcement and say nobody speaks in tongues, but it just happens to people don't do that. We don't do that. Sometimes people would share uh, prophetic words and it is well received, surprisingly well received. So uh, in, in the pastor's meeting, somebody would, would, would not say, I have a prophetic word, or again, you know, it's semantics really. I have a prophetic word or thus says the Lord, but they would share says, oh, I have this on my heart and I have this, uh, you know, I'm stirred with this. And I think this is, in my opinion, this is a wise thing to do because uh, why can't we win our brothers and why can't we use language? Uh, why make language a barrier uh, to when it doesn't need to be? So instead of saying, the Lord is telling me this, or this is a prophetic word, or thus is the Lord, 
Why can't we just say, you know, uh, I'm stirred with this or, and if it's God, they will know it's God. If it's not God, they will know it's not God. But uh, if you, you, if I feel, if you use a word that's this very strongly charismatic, you will turn off people who are not comfortable with this language and they will not even have a chance to examine it, in my opinion. But nobody speaks in tongues, again, without necessarily anybody announcing it or forbidding it, but it just the, the culture grew as such. In the multi-church prayer meetings as well, um, it used to happen more often. We, we don't, for some reason, we didn't do that. We don't do that anymore. But we used to say, if you have, we would announce, if you have a word you think is from the Lord, come and share with the leadership team, four people up front, and they will decide whether this is something for public sharing or not. And uh, we used to do that very often early on, uh, but we do share prophetic words. And we do share, say this is, we feel the Lord is saying this, or, and it is well received even by evangelical non-charismatic pastors. Now, some pastors that have hosted meetings have had more of uh, sort of, they said, you know what? My people are not used to this. So this is the way I'd like to run the meeting. And we honor and respect the culture of the local church. So we don't impose, uh, no, this is the way it's, we, we like to do it, or this is the way it's done, or we won't do it. You know, we don't do that. We honor and respect uh, the local church distinctions. And if a church is not ready and not comfortable with something, we don't do it. That's, that's really good. Mm -hmm. um, Liz, I'm just going to have you pray over, over uh, Mamdu, and then we're going to let him go. Father, we thank you so much for Mamdu and for the ministry that you've called him to. Father, thank you for the foretaste you've given already in Cape Cod and through these efforts. And Father, we pray you continue to expand his borders, Lord. We pray you continue to expand the anointing and the direction upon him. We pray for strengthening for the leadership team. We pray for continued revelation and downloads of next steps. Lord, we pray blessings back as he's sown into this group, Lord, and into 10 days. Lord, we thank you that you continue to water those seeds by your spirit. Lord, we just pray that you would, um, Father, let these uh, things that he shared, Father, take deep root in us, the things that you've spoken through him. Lord, help us to see how we can apply them in our own context. And Lord, we just pray that you would uh, just week by week as we gather together to pray and to seek your face and to hear uh, things like this from others. We, we pray this would be an effective way of building each other up and hearing what you're speaking to us. And so Lord, we pray um, that you would go with Mahmoud, Mamdu as he goes forward and uh, just give him great encouragement, Lord, as he shared out, Father, you said that as we water, you would water us. And Lord, I pray that he would indeed feel the refreshing and strengthening from you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Liz. And thank you, everybody. Thank you, Jonathan. Good to see you. Got to go back to work. Thank you so much for making time.